poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friends, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday here on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Today, we've got a couple of hands that John has played over this seemingly never-ending month of the Elite program. By the time you're listening to this, the month will be over, but John and I are recording this episode early because he's taking a much needed vacation and I'm going into the wilderness and not going to be talking to anybody for about four or five days. So, uh, (laughs) not around to schedule next week's episode. What's up, John? Going on. Look at us working early, working hard, getting things done before deadlines, getting things done before deadlines. I've got about 12 villager centric episodes that are just like in the can that I recorded couple weeks back, I think there were two weeks this month where I had on my calendar like 25 appointments or something like that. I remember you tried scheduling a coaching session and there was, there was nowhere to schedule. There was no availability. <laughs> I feel like wait a week, yeah. <laughs> um, but thankfully, things have died down, get to go on vacation. And uh, let's break down these hands before we can, you know, before we actually have a mental or physical breakdown ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get started. Okay. So, um, I guess like if we want to talk about a quick, a quick theme of these hands, um, well, I guess by then the, the, by the time this is aired, the title and the description will be out, but the theme is, uh, bluffing rivers, raising rivers as a bluff. I feel like we've done a bunch of episodes on those, but those are the most exciting hands generally. So that's why we do them. So this hand opens with me in the cutoff with ace, 10 of spades. Um, this is, we are four-handed playing 510, no limit cash. Um, I open the small blind fold, oh, three bets, and the big blind folds. Going to be flatting ace, 10 of spades all day versus a three bet from the blinds from the cutoff. Uh, so I call. Yeah, this three bet sizing, tell me about this sizing. It's like a little, it looks a little weird, but... I don't really open to your size. So I think this is like pretty close to the size that they should be three betting to versus like the tw- the 2.25. Um, I think like, I don't know if you want to like scale it like exactly, it would be like close to like a hundred dollars, but this is just, I don't know. It's half a, half a big blind less than that. So I think the size is, is really good. Yeah. I would just go like a hundred ish, but I mean, Whatever yeah, there's yeah. they're saving they're they're dialing it back like point two five big blinds from yeah, I feel, when so. I see people do this I feel like they're using like some scroll like they're just lazily just kind of like scrolling and like ah, okay ninety seven fifty like that's close enough <laughs> maybe I don't know I doubt I, I don't know if that's the case or not because I mean it seems like they would be more precise than that at oh there's some people like there's some people who three bet and I can tell they just click pot like they just click the pot button <laughs> to like three bet in position I'm like yeah that number is exactly pot like. <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you've listened to the Patrick Leonard episode of like why he thought he could make a run at high stakes poker, that whole story, I suggest you go listen to the podcast and because that's just a hilarious story. And this is kind of alludes to that, 
that I guess we should never underestimate the laziness of poker players and even the highest of stakes, maybe even especially the highest of stakes poker players. Why do you say that? Why especially? Ah, just because. Like, I think that... I just think that the highest of stakes poker players can get a little lazy. They can get lackadaisical. They can, you know, get less hungry. They can just be playing to make money every single month and just get kind of distracted and out of the zone. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever. I mean, like you said, to be fair, 97.50, 100, 110, like those are all perfectly fine three bet sizes. So they are. They yeah. are. Um, so we get this gorgeous flop of a five of hearts in eight of clubs and a nine of spades. And, yeah. uh, the flop goes check, check. Well, uh, let's start there. Yeah. The check on the flop. Um, your check back. What do you think about betting the flop, stabbing the flop, checking back? Yeah, I think stabbing the, I think stabbing these like low and middling flops, um, with range, if you wanted to facing a check is, is probably fine. Um, I think with a hand that's worse than ace high, I would certainly, uh, be way more inclined to stab, but when I block villain from having like ace high hands himself, um, I think that I am going to be ahead of quite a large portion of villain's uh, range, and that I, if I stab the swap with this sort of hand, I'm really just getting mostly worse hands to fold. Um, and- I'm a li- I'm a little skeptical though. Like I'm 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 skeptical that you're gonna always realize equity or even a high percentage of the time realize equity on a variety of different runouts. Like you are beating King Queen, but like, you know, are you always going to realize full equity and just call down on blank runouts? Well, I mean, if you want to see what I, I can prove it to you in this hand, if you, if you want to, Oh, you, you prove something. I don't know. I don't know that you prove you're going to call down, but we prove some, I mean, we already talked about the theme of the episode. So yeah. Uh, and then also, like, especially with this hand, like, ace, ten of spades with, like, the eight and the nine with a spade on board, it's, like, it's way more painful to get check raised off of this hand, I think, than when you have, like, ace, ten of diamonds, um, for example. Like, there's equity, more equity to be realized on this particular board with when I have ace, ten of spades, exactly. So, like, if I bet the swap and get check raised, I'd be way sadder than if I had <laughs> ace, ten of diamonds or, like, king, queen, whatever, and got check raised. I think you have a... I think... Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this like this spot specifically, and so we know that like how it's supposed to be defended versus the three better from out of position. I think like this exact spot, right? We've ran a bunch of sims and looked at MDA. So yeah. like villain in in the small blind should be checking range here and like check raising at like a very high frequency. Uh, I don't know. Again, it's hard to project and what we know onto them. I do think that villains are going to under check race typically versus the stab. And I think that's makes the stab better. And I don't know, like painful to fold ace 10 high versus check raise. Uh, I mean, I'm just way more optimistic than you. I see the nine of spades with an eight and I'm like, Oh man, so many good things can happen on the turn. (laughs) I think it kind of plays into something we talked about in private coaching sessions where, you know, you look at like folding as like losing. And so like, you don't want to lose. And so like putting yourself in a position to lose by folding is like a thing that you want to avoid consciously. And I think that like, instead of thinking about it like that, we got to think about like our full strategy holistically and how we're going to be playing the spot. And like, is there room to exploit the villain uh, through stabbing versus checks? And like, yeah, sometimes you have the King queen of 
spades or clubs or hearts and you get check raised and like, yeah, it's, it's whatever you have to fold out some backdoor equity. But I mean, realistically speaking, you have an ace and a 10 of spades and like <laughs> getting check raised is like not the end of the world. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So, so you're saying that you, you would advocate for just stabbing range on this flop then, huh? I think that you can stab as an exploit. I think you can stab pretty heavily as an exploit. Um, yeah. I think like, what are you stabbing with? Like, what are you checking behind? Um, what are you checking behind that can like call down when villain just bets turn? Like seven, eight suited. I'd probably check. I'd probably check a straight behind to be honest. Yeah, I think uh, that's reasonable. I think you could check yeah. sets behind too. Yeah. Um, so that's like three, six, nine, thirteen combos of hands. You're gonna check eight, nine suited back. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I think I should. Mm. <laughs> should. What about jacks or tens? Um, uh, no, I think I would stab jacks and tens. Okay, so you're stabbing jacks and tens, and you're checking back. Uh, let's call it three combos of ace-10 suited, three combos of ace-jack suited, three combos of ace-queen suited, um, a bunch of like ace-deuce through ace-five suited, a bunch of pocket pairs. Yeah. For like for like hands that like can't really call. I mean, like ace-five suited is going to be able to call a turn, but... Like, yeah, yeah like so like ace-deuce through ace-four, yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, I think this is like a spot that, you know... We've broken it down when you're the preflop aggressor. And so now I think we need to break it down using a mix of like Pio and MDA as the preflop caller versus check on this code red board where there's a straight possible and it's middling. Yeah. And to be like, I don't know, to, to be fair, like to, you know, kind of like further your argument, I guess, like if I was only given two choices and it was one was either check range on this flop or, or stab range, I, I would pick stab range. Yeah, for sure. And I just don't know. I mean, let's think about this. Like, so before for the listener to catch up, you know, John played a hand where like it was a board like this and he bet out with jacks and got raised 2.5 X and he jammed the flop. Right. And it was like, uh, it was like a canary in a coal mine situation where like things were going bad this month. And I was like, yo, we got to look at this hand because this just doesn't seem right to me. And we broke down your strategy and, like we just analyzed it to death and spent three or four hours on it. Um, and so, you know, this is, this. it's like you from a month ago, right? So I think that like you from a month ago, checking here is just going to be overfolding massively versus stabs. Okay. So, you know, I don't know how regs in the population are performing exactly in this exact spot, but I mean, it, it's so easy to like, know what we're doing here and then kind of project that villain is doing something similar okay. when we, we don't really know what their strategy is on this board. Like, did they do a three hour coaching session on this spot? I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. And I will say that that is like historically like, or I mean, even to this day, it's like a really big problem for me. Like even when I start doing something new, I immediately just start projecting like, Oh, my opponents are probably doing this thing too. Like, uh, so I should just be careful about which hands I'm stabbing. Cause yeah, they're good. <laughs> you know, in this case, like I'm going to get check raised like crazy on this flop. Right. And the reality is like, we don't know what they're doing or what they're thinking and, you know, where they're studied and where they're unstudied. So like we have to sort of like dial back and go 
based on what we know using data and using population tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So with all that said, we check back. We don't bet the, we don't bet the flop. We don't stab and the turn is a deuce of clubs. And now the villain bets half pot. Tell me about it, John. So I actually thought that I would be ahead of a lot of the hands that are going to bet the turn. Um, I didn't expect villain to take hands like ace, king, ace, queen, ace, jack very frequently and bet the turn with those hands. I thought their check flop turn stabbing range is going to be a lot of broadways, suited broadways that ace high is going to be ahead of. Um, I thought those like ace, king, ace, queen, ace, jack type hands are often just going to try to take their showdown. Um, maybe so that's your, a. It's your plan to just call call down here, if like villain has king ten, queen jack, king queen, queen ten. Yeah, I think I'm very frequently just calling down here. Okay. Okay, so you call the turn. Okay, hi. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that's your plan, that's your plan. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how advised it is. Um, I, I think villains may bet more ace highs here inappropriately than you might think but again i think it's not the worst plan i've heard yeah I, i've gotten burned by that to be honest to be fair like i've been like well, why are you betting ace king on the turn like what? what is this a bluff like what is happening they just bet to bet yeah and we get this eight of hearts on the river so this seems to be with your current theory in mind pretty good run out for yeah. your ace 10 high call down yeah I agree. I think it's a pretty good spot, or pretty definitely a good run out to call. Board pairing is, is great. Um, I forget what size villain bets on this turn, but I remember they do bet. Yeah. So they go for like, I don't know, the five eighths, little over half pot size. Um, so I don't know. At here, like at this part, this is where I sort of pivot and like, I just thought like the eight is just like such a good card for me. Like, like I said, I'm going to have so many, like eight X is just going to be a big part of like my value range that checks back the turn and then calls the flop. Um, and how, how big and for the podcast listener, uh, we checked back the turn there or we called the turn bet the half pot bet. Now there's 407 in the pot and the river is the eight of hearts. So the final board is eight, uh, five of hearts, eight of clubs, nine of spades, Deuce of clubs, eight of hearts, and villain bets two fifty seven into four oh seven on the river. Right. So um, again, like uh, another kind of component to. Um, well, I do decide to jam over this bet. Like another kind of component, uh, that, like when it's my thought process is that like you know if villain does have a value hand is very capped to is most likely capped to one pair. Don't think villain ever shows up with better than one or now i guess two pair um but like an over pair um and they're probably also going to be like pretty aware of the fact that i have a decent number of 8x certainly way more 8x than uh certainly more 8x than they do and so i jammed here kind of in an attempt to just get them to fold everything like if they're betting bluffing with hands that are better than mine like if they happen to be doing like the weird ace king bluff they're obviously going to fold and that if they have an over pair um, I don't know, at least maybe this gets them to fold sometimes or at least gets them to think about it. I don't, I don't think that I love it now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, yeah. you said you have a lot of eights, but we have two combos of seven, eight suited. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we don't have as many. And then two, two combos, combos of eight. ace, ace, eight suited. Yeah. Two combos of 10, eight suited. 
I actually, then, I mean, like they, they probably don't know this. Like maybe they think I have two combos of ace eight suited, but um, I always don't have ace eight suited. I would four bet that. Yeah. And then six eight suited. So that's like if you have six eight suited too, that's eight combos of like eight X. Yeah. And when you jam the river here, uh villain is getting two point six nine to one. They need to win twenty seven percent of the time. So basically they don't need to find too many bluffs. Right. And, and it just looks like I'm gonna have clubs here, like a bunch. I think you do have clubs here a bunch. I would think so. I mean, ace three, ace four, king ten, king queen, king jack of clubs, ace jack of clubs, maybe ace ten of clubs. Yeah. If you're jamming those, but but I think fundamentally, one of the one one thing that is um, I question here would be you had a plan the whole way through, and then just kind of shifted from your plan here on this river in like an ideal run out situation. Yeah. And that, that's kind of like, that's kind of worrisome for me that like you have a plan that seems pretty solidified and then it just turns all shaky and like a perfect run out. I thought this run out was like more perfect to just jam and rep, <laughs> you know, just try to get like, <laughs> like the plan changed, but it wasn't like, because you know, uh, so, I just thought that like the eight especially was just in game. I just thought it was just kind of like the perfect card for me to just go okay. crazy on. Okay, so we have a five on the river, a nine on the river, a deuce on the river. I guess a deuce you just call the river. A three, a four, a six, a seven. I mean, what cards are we calling down on? A queen, a jack, a king. I mean, oh, queen jack king would be scary, right? So, like, let's let, let like this is this is what I really want to break down. Is like you've got this plan, right? But like, how many rivers actually happen where you call six, seven, three, four, nine, deuce? You think a nine? I think a nine is probably more credible for you than an eight. You have nine, ten, jack uh, nine. Yeah, I mean, I just like the eight is just like, oh, the second pair check back thing is just like, you know, that's just so, I, I feel like that was just, that's just like so at the front of like people's minds when second pair. Uh, it is, it, it like is. Yeah. it's fair. I mean, it's a hand that is like a very natural check back hand and like sometimes Ace X or nine X bets a flop like yeah. either way. So I understand why you're jamming the eight. I'm just, I guess, yeah, I'm just trying to get you to iron out your plan and see like, Imagine all the various river cards where you're calling down because like it's very easy to think that we're going to be calling down and then end up just bluffing on a ton of runouts, which kind of shoots holes in your plan to call down in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I guess like <laughs> I mean, more arguments against me is that uh, on on a club river, I'd be pretty scared to call as well. Right. <laughs> um. So anyway, just something to think about. And I think we can now move on to hand number two, which you actually said the hand number two is the more interesting of the hands that you sent this week. But I think this hand, this hand that we just broke down was pretty interesting. And I guess we'll show the result because this is what I always forget to do. This is like classic hand breakdown situation. I forget to show the result because the result is almost inconsequential to the strategy behind the result. 
Um, John does jam for 801 over 257. Villain folds and Villain ends up showing us the ace jack high. <laughs> so John gets his patented um, folding. Thank God the river was an ace. <laughs> I didn't call. Folding out one pip above what he actually has. So let's see if John's run good in folding out some slightly better hands can hold up right after the break. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And preflop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post boot camp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re- really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right, welcome back 
to this week's episode of Tactical Tuesday. John, care to start breaking down this second hand? Yep. So this hand starts with an open in the cutoff, uh, flat on the button, and I defend Queen Jack offsuit from the big blind. Really nice flop, Queen, Queen, Nine. Um, I'm checking range on these boards out of position, not going to have a docking strategy on this on these types of flops. So I go ahead and check. Tell me, checks. What, is, what are your thoughts about like the villains in this hand? Because I see that like the player in the cutoff starts with not a full stack, like 850 or something. Did they just not get a chance to reload? I mean, we're only 15 hands in, but do we know anything? Uh, don't know anything about either of them. I mean, the 850 plus like the, I mean, 2013 over 15 hands just doesn't mean anything. Um, I, I guess we could like start hypothesizing that they they might be a slightly weaker player, but uh, given how he played the rest of the hand, I, I, I would say that I, I think he's closer to a reg than a fish. What about the 3x open? Is that typical? Yeah, that happens. Yeah. yeah. What percent? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely more likely to be a weaker player that opens 3x than like 2.5 or 2.25, but it happens with, I don't know, enough frequency where it's probably the second most common open size after 25. Yeah. The reason I'm pressing is like 875 stack opening to $30 is like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things that make you go, hmm. So we get a flop of queen of diamonds, queen of clubs, nine of diamonds. John has queen jack offsuit, no diamond. And the flop is going to check through. And yep. the turn is the 10 of clubs. There's $95 in the pot. Villain, the villain in this hand that we get involved with has eight. 84 big blinds, so 845 left behind. Tell me about your sizing here on the turn, John. Yeah, I mean, even before we get into sizing, I think we could talk about like whether it's better to lead the swap or go for a check raise. Um, you mean the turn? Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, the turn, yep. I thought that I could start leading the swap with some of my super strong hands. Given, <laughs> turn, um, how many turn, John. We're on the turn. Uh, get, it, get it together. God, okay. I thought that I could start leading this turn with some of my super strong hands because uh, just of how many bluffs I'm going to be perceived to have, I think, on this very, very wet board. Um, so on those types of boards, I generally tend to lean towards leading the turn instead of going for check raises. I also just think that there are lots of very high equity hands that are going to be inclined to check back, um, especially multi-way. So some like weaker flush draws or even like ace-high flush draws that um, think that like ace high have some some sort of showdown. Lots of like jack x that you know hands like jack nine or, or ten jack might just easily find a, a check back on this turn. Um, so I decided to lead. Um, tell me size, about tell me uh, about going for check raise because that seems like kind of crazy to me. Uh, I mean, you think? Do you think like this turn is just like a hundred percent lead like with? No, I mean, I, I think I, I think checking is reasonable, but I, I would not check raise. I would check oh, call. Check call. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess check raising is pretty. Uh, Seems pretty be, ambitious to me. Yeah, I could definitely start getting into like the overplaying my hand um, situation. Well, but, two I like mean, how many natural bluffs do you have that don't lead but go for a check raise? Yeah, probably not that many. I mean, it would have to be some sort of combo draw. 
<laughs> not that many. Not that many feels like probably zero to me. But maybe you go for a check raise with like ace jack of diamonds or ace jack of clubs. But I mean, uh, I wouldn't even have those because I just threw about those pre flop. Okay, <laughs> so we don't have those. Um, it would have to be like jack seven of diamonds, jack seven of clubs. I don't know. And if and if he gets bet three bet, or if you or if you check raise and like villain calls, I mean, in either case, it's yeah. like very dicey. You check raise the jack seven, villain calls, and we know that like oh, they've just got a bunch of boats um, in position here, heading into the river. Like, how great do I really feel about this? Right, right, yeah, okay. So, all right, I'm on board with just the the lead everything strategy on this board. I think so. Yeah, uh, like. The board is now queen, queen, nine, ten, uh, with two diamonds and two clubs. John has a queen of hearts, jack of clubs. You bet half pot. And I have to go to the video. The preflop razor ends up calling here. Mm-hmm. And the river is the four of clubs. So it completes the backdoor flush. John, you do have the jack of clubs. So. Tell me what's going through your mind here on the river. Um, I decided to block this river. I, I don't know if that's a good size, to be honest. Um, but kind of my idea was that like I'm going to, or I'm trying to get called by like 10x or like jacks. Um, or aces or events. kings. I mean, yeah, I think- oh sure, yeah. Or aces or kings. And when the club gets there, especially, uh, I think I'm, again, like, the number of bluffs that I have are definitely going to shrink. Um, like that's going to bring in a lot of the hands that I'm bluffing the turn with. So basically I'm only left with diamonds at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, just like when I think that I am going to be perceived to have uh, not too many bluffs, um, I usually go for the small size when I'm out of position. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think it's like tough to go big here and get called by worse. Um, you go like, two-thirds or three-fourths like it just just feels like villains going to end up calling with like backdoor clubs themselves and Mm -hmm. you know genuinely considering folding a hand like aces or kings i mean this this river just like completes it it completes lots of things like the only hope is that you have some like busted diamonds um or some crazy jack x like yeah some crazy jack i mean like ace jack i guess uh that doesn't squeeze jack eight of spades or something Jack eight of spades is a straight. Oh, excuse me. Jack seven of spades. Yeah. Jack seven of spades. Anyway. Okay. So like, yeah, I think small is the way to go here and sort of brings me back to the original point of like check raising the turn of is like, once you put in two bets here on this board, like you have a very strong hand, you've got a very strong range here. Once you put in two bets, um, even when you go for a third and now villain does something, that is not uh, villain does something that is not call and pay us off, which would be the hope villain three X raises to one eighty. So we bet 60, they raise to one eighty. You end up, I mean, I end up jamming because that's the theme of this episode. And I kind of went over on the video on accident. So, um, I guess let's talk about first your option to call why you chose not to call and then why you chose to jam instead. Okay. So I, I don't think villain ever raises the worst hand for value. Um, in this situation, I don't. Yeah, I don't think villain ever raises a worse hand for value in this situation. I think their raises are going to be straights, flushes, and boats. Um, I think all those hands are probably going to find a raise versus this size on the river. So I didn't think that calling was 
much of an option um, in this situation. I don't know if you think there is some reason to call, but I thought that you know blocking some of like the strongest full houses and you know some of the strongest hands jamming could be uh, might be a, a good good decision here. Um, and I think like one of the things that we talked about like really briefly before this hand was uh, how bad having the jack of clubs in this situation is. It's like, I want my opponent. I like, that's a card that I really want my opponent to have. I want to, him to have a hand like King Jack or Jack eight or, you know, a flush, like a club flush that is raising. Cause those are the hands that are most likely to fold to a jam. Um, obviously the, the boats that he can have are, are, you know, queen 10 suited pocket nines, pocket tens. Um, and you know, most of those are unlikely to fold. <laughs> yes. Full houses are very unlikely to fold, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I think like, what's the worst hand you value bet here on the river? Like, let's start there. In eight? Yeah, so we're like at very close to the bottom of our value bet range, right? Yeah. We're very close to the bottom of our value bet range. I think that the, there's like, folding is just an option. I mean, you're yeah, never yeah. winning. You're never winning, and folding is a very viable option. You have the Jack of Clubs, which is not a card you probably want to have. I think most uh, the, the biggest problem for me sort of hinges on trying to make villain fold like nut flushes that they're ra value raising the river with here. Is like it's a dicey proposition in that sometimes people just call no matter what. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I have the nut flush, whatever, I'm not folding. Um, so I think that's that's makes it a little bit dicey. I think too they all, they have a bunch of full houses. Like they have nines full, they have tens full. They may even have queen ten or queen nine. Like even though they only have a couple combos of that, but they do have full houses here. So like for this sort of gambit to work work out, you kind of need to them, them to fold. You need first of all them to value raise a lot of flushes. And if they have like king x of clubs do they value raise king x of clubs right this is like the first thing i, I don't know maybe they do i don't think they value raise like 9x of clubs like 89 or 79 or 67 or 78 of clubs i mean i thought i thought way more flushes than just like the really good ones would raise raise versus block like if maybe. i had larger then like yeah fine fine we can start you know chopping out some of their flushes but like versus block i just thought like oh like a flush is going to think that they have the best hand all the time maybe maybe they think that your full houses go ahead go bigger and that you have like a bunch of king king jack and queen jack or king queen type hands in range that you're blocking the river with although i wouldn't have multiple sizings on the river i would only have the block yeah i think that's that's correct for sure um so Again, I don't know, you know, like, is this, is this projection in that, you know, is a projection that like, we think villains will size up when they do have boats here and use the block when they don't, I guess that's. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I would, I, I would guess, yes, that like most people would size up with boats and like not block, like not have the discipline to block boats on the river. Um, I don't think that's projection because we just said that like we would, we would only use block no matter what we're no matter what hand we're betting on the river yeah that could be the projection <laughs> that oh. other that other people are only using the block and that like people are actually using like a big size and a small size i see, uh, I, see. I, I don't know i mean maybe i mean maybe seven eight seven eight of clubs raises um um the river and like we can fold it out but i mean yeah it's 
seems tough to me. We'd have to like count up all the combos of flushes that they have and then sort of make some assumptions that like that we need them to fold X amount of combos here in order for this to work out, right? Like you're risking, how much are you risking when you jam? You're risking, uh, we added like this. 790. Up. Yeah. To win how much? Like 799. We'll say 800. Yeah. And you're risking it to win like um, 440, right? Because you bet sixty on the river, and there's three sixty in the pot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So four, four, four twenty, something like that. Yeah. Um, so you're risking like two x almost. And yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know. I, I don't particularly love it, just because like this is the bottom of our range, and like we've got folding the bottom of your range here on the river. I think just can't be bad. Um having the jack of clubs is not a good thing. And yeah, that's like that's the thing that makes me like not like this the most is having the jack of clubs. Like that's just that's so bad to have that card. I don't love when a plane hinges on us making villain fold nut flushes here. In backdoor okay. backdoor nut flushes when they're getting um close to 2 to 1. Yeah, yeah. Like I, we showed a hand in the I showed you a hand in the pre conversation where like I bet three bet the river with like backdoor nut flush blocker and like on, on a king queen jack board and they just like snapped with king queen high or king queen top two pair. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I just think villains don't fold. They don't str- like stop strong and think hands. like, well, if I have the nut flush, what is this guy like bet three bet jamming? Like, or they're you're just saying like, they don't even care. They're like, I just, the sand is just too good. Who knows? You know, I did, I did a optimization session with Peter and you know, we, we talked a lot about how we, when we're playing poorly on like our bad days, we're emotionally compromised, like we'll call without even thinking, right? Like we'll do something that we otherwise wouldn't do just because like we're having a bad session, we're tilted, whatever it is. And like this phenomenon applies to every single opponent that you play against. They're all in the emotional arena with you, right? I think it's something that like we don't think about enough is that everybody's going crazy internally in their sessions. Like they're just stuck four or five buy-ins. Like they're they can feel their heart thundering in their ears and like, you know, they river the nut flush here and like, yeah, I ain't folding. Like whatever. I'm stuck four buy-ins. What's five? I mean you know what I mean? Like I think that like people will players at this level and pretty much all levels will just based on how a session is going, they'll just snap call. And, and like that, it's hard to quantify, but I, it, it does happen very often. And I think you can, you can think in your memory banks in spots where you've let that happen as well. And the listener, I think can probably identify with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So, Hey man, I don't know. I just, the spot, I was like, Hey, my coach stopped telling me or told me to stop turning pairs into bluffs. So I've stopped. Now trips into bluffs. Yeah, <laughs> you, you took it a step further. You started turning trips into bluffs <laughs> instead of pairs. And how did it work out for us? Well, villain called, which is probably a bad sign. Um, <laughs> and they showed the nines full, yeah. which he actually time banked and then called. Um, so I had some hope <laughs> for like thirty seconds. But he's got It's got to be a slow roll, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, are you like loving it with nines here when when you get like bet three bet jammed on like? You're just like hoping that I have. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're loving it or what you're doing. No, like they're not going to fold nines here. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't expect them to fold nines, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like some, again, like nines is not 
they're just like delaying the inevitable. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. They're they're just never going to be folding. Um, no. But I and mean, checking the nines on the flop, like that's what I said. Like when you asked, like whether I think this guy's a fish or not, like preflop, it's like, eh, well, it does look like he's checking range on the flop if he's checking this hand. So I mean, this hand needs no protection. Like this is kind of like a good hand to check on the flop. I mean, we can get the button to stab. We can get you to stab on the turn. Like we can get some decent turn cards. Like uh, I think this is like a pretty reasonable hand to check on the flop. Again, but I just don't think like I don't think like most fish are like disciplined enough to like I think they just see whoa boat multi way like draw heavy board like let's go like start putting money That's in fair. and like get value. That's fair. I mean, fish will slow play though. Like they will check. It's hard to really hard to really know. I, I guess you probably have more data on this villain over time. Unless you just like snap quit your session and punch your computer in the mouth oh, no, at no, the no, end no. of this hand. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, let me double check. Yeah, I mean, he seems over. I only have 40 hands on him and he's playing 16, 14, 9. So, yeah. Well, 16, 14, 9. Looks pretty oh, nitty. I left a tight guy. Fuck. Yeah. You, in, you tried to bet three bet a knit on the river i don't know i don't know if that's like a step up or a step down that's why he tanked with the <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess maybe you could he probably doesn't even raise the nut flush on the river um, <laughs> in the first place but uh all right i, I think yeah I, i'm never we're never going to get this out of you you're just always going to be trying to bull your way through the river here with your trips and your pairs trying to find uh. the find the victory um and sometimes you know the fold button is the victory gotta move up to stakes where they respect my raises <laughs> <laughs> well you got one step to go and I, I think like probably in the next six months that'll be the final step if they stop respecting your raises there well then you know all right then no I'll, admit defeat. I'll wave the white flag like all right brad was right this is just torching yeah <laughs> all right man good show thank you to the listener for tuning in We'll be back next week. Hopefully, me and John will have a lot more energy next week. We'll be rejuvenated from our various um, vacations. Feel good coming back in. Before before we leave, check out freenuffle.com. Sign up to Bovada. You get Nuffle for free. I'm working on making some supplementary videos. Neutralized Turn Leads came out in the last few weeks, and I'm going to start charging $50 for it as an add-on to Nuffle within the next month. And right now you get it for free when you do buy neutralized flop leads. So if you go to the website, chasingpokergreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E or slash courses, you can find it where there's a will, there's a way. John, tell the listener, peace out. Peace out. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.